Lesson One: Basic Hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session, the weekly jazz interview show. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is available for free in iTunes. Please take a minute and subscribe so you're always up to date. You can also listen at thejazzsession.com. In addition to episodes of the show, thejazzsession.com features written interviews, live jazz news, and lots of jazz links. This week's guest is saxophonist Donnie McCaslin. His new album is In Pursuit. From that album, here's a brief tale. <laughs> My guest is composer and saxophonist Donnie McCaslin. His new album on Sunnyside is called In Pursuit, and it features all of his own compositions, all but one of which, the result of a Chamber Music America grant. The album has an all-star cast of people whose names you're going to know, and it is my distinct pleasure to welcome Donnie McCaslin to the show. Thanks so much for being here. Hey, thanks, Jason. It's a pleasure to be here. So I have to start off with a criticism and say this should have been like a triple album because it's fantastic, and I, c- I could have had about three times as much. It's oh, man. really, really good. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate that. There was actually one piece um, for the Chamber Music Commission that I didn't end up recording. So um, there was a little bit of extra material that I could have recorded, but we kind of ran out of time. So for the, the DVD extras, there'll be the... The extra extra tune that we exactly. missed. Exactly. You know, with a full choir and, nice. uh, and whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. So how does how do you go about getting a Chamber Music America grant? Well, it's actually, um, it was my first experience in applying for a grant, so it was all new to me. But basically, you download this application form from their website, and you join Chamber Music of America, because only members can um, apply for these grants. So I, um, I joined Chamber Music America, I downloaded this form, and basically for this particular grant, you had to submit excerpts from three compositions. The, the material you, you submit had to be 15 minutes or less in, in terms of the time. So 
you know, I took three tunes from a record I had done called The Way Through on Arabesque Records, and I, you know, I kind of um, edited the tunes so they would fit time-wise, and then you propose the ensemble that you'd like to use. So I, I had folks in mind for what I wanted to do, and then you have to write essays describing um, the compositional process describe the work that you were intending to write for this grant sort of a specific thing there was there was a, there was a lot of, it was a lot of work because i wasn't an english major in college and um you know i i wanted to um to to represent the group and and to describe the music as clearly as i could so it took a while but it ended up you know obviously working out as and i got the grant and and it turned into this record what impact did that amount of forethought have on the final product? Well, it was interesting because I had never had a commission or never had to write music for any specific thing before. It was always more of, you know, when the muse struck, I would write something down and then, and then maybe, um, you know, go through the grinding out process of turning it into a tune over time. And I mean, I definitely had periods where I wrote with certain ensembles in mind, but I never had to come up with, you know, nine or ten tunes by a specific date. And not only that, having already set out the guidelines and and the concept you know i'd never done that before again i'd always kind of just kind of let you know the inspiration come and take me wherever it was going to go whether that meant a free tune or a blues or whatever but with this i had already laid out this this framework and so it was it was challenging because i was wondering if i'd be able to to function this way but it actually it was it was great to have that kind of structure and i the grant period was long enough to where I could spend a fair amount of time studying and listening to the music that I thought was going to sort of inspire me and push me in the direction that I was trying to go to write this stuff. So um, I had a fair amount of time to listen, and then it just kind of ended up, you know, working out pretty well that the tunes kind of came when they did, and it was it was really great to have have to do it. There's a very kind of muscular or rich sound to the ensemble that you've put together for this record and i'm wondering how did you since you had to choose them before you know you'd written any music for the album how did you decide okay these are the guys that i'm going to use well it was actually pretty easy because a year ago um, a record came out of mine called soar and that record featured a lot of people who were on the new record so when that record came out, I was still, I feel like In Pursuit is a continuation of Soar is what I'm trying to say. So that ensemble sound was in my head, and I wanted to explore further that sound. Basically the same lineup. I, on Soar, um, Orrin Evans plays piano on maybe half the record, and I didn't have piano on this. And Luciana Souza sings on most of the record, and although I had voice on the CMA concerts, when I premiered the music, I decided not to use voice for the recording, just to kind of make it different texturally from Soar. So I had the sound of this group already in my head when I was doing this, and it made it a lot easier. David Binney both plays on the record and produced it, and uh, David's been on the show before. Fantastic saxophonist and a, a really good match, I think, for you. But I wonder what it was like to work with him as a producer. Well, it was great, because um, Dave and I have been friends for... Uh, maybe 16, 17 years. We've been really close friends, and we originally I started playing playing in one of his groups, and then we kind of got this co-op band together called Land Zang with uh, Scott Colley and and Jeff Hirschfield and later Kenny Wallison, and we did a lot of playing and a lot of hanging 
for me, it was a natural choice to have him as producer because I admire him so much as a musician. I trust his opinion so much, and I'm so comfortable working with him. You know, there's just a lot of trust there. So it was, it was an, it was easy, an easy choice for me, and, and I thought he did a great job. He made a great suggestion on um, the tune Sea of Expectancy, which starts with this guitar solo and then it goes into this thing. And originally I was going to solo over the first section, and the tune would have ended up being really long, like 15 minutes or something. But So he suggested, hey, why don't you just play the melody and then go to this B section and then solo over that and take it out. And, you know, it was something that I hadn't thought of, and it was a great suggestion. It made the tune you know, shorter and, and, and just made it like come together. So it's, um, so that was his role. interesting that uh, conversation about concise songs because there are, there are three or four tunes on here that are six minutes or less there's some that are under four yeah. and uh, however they're really powerful like a brief tale I remember my parents got cable right when MTV first started and I remember that ad where the kid gets blown out of his chair when the TV turns on and that was how I felt when I put this record in the first time and a brief tale starts out it's just such a powerful piece of music and the album ends just as powerfully with festival in three parts it seems like a real challenge to fit kind of that much power into something that's four minutes long or, th- or three minutes long. Is, that a, is it a com- compositional challenge or an improvisational challenge for you? Yeah, I would say um, maybe more improvisationally than, than compositionally. I mean, because the tune um, felt sort of complete as it was. And I, and I thought that, um, well, this is actually another thing that Dave and I had talked about before the session. He had suggested that we tried a couple to set up a couple tunes where I'm just soloing with the rhythm section, and or, or just actually just with the drums and percussion, and um, so this was one of these tunes, and it's a kind of a simple song, and I knew that sort of what would make or break the song was going to be the impact of the solo.
that was kind of the challenge I felt um, with the tune, um, and also orchestrating it. You know, adding the other saxophone voice and having Dave uh, on alto double the guitar line. I mean. The, the orchestration I thought was really cool on that, but really it was like trying to really get to the point with the improvisation, which it's funny, that's um, kind of a lesson that I learned in, in the beginning of my professional career. I, you know, I went to, um, I grew up in Santa Cruz, California, and I played and started playing in my father's band when I was 16, and it was, you know, great. I played, just played all the time. I played standards and all these different tunes, and then I went to Berkeley, and I had a great time there, and I was I was playing a lot. But I started playing with Gary Burton's band when I was like a senior in college, and up to that point, you know, I was used to taking long epic solos, you know, and uh, you know playing blues and rhythm changes and just kind of stretching out. And with Gary's band, um, there wasn't a lot of solo room because there was piano, uh, saxophone, and uh, vibraphone as the main solo instrument. So, and his concept was to have a you know, have to have shorter tunes and whatnot. So basically, he really instilled in me the idea of really getting to the point with your solo right away and not, you know, mincing words or whatever. Um, And that's not to say that you start a solo, you know, playing a bunch of notes and really energetically, but that you just try to get right to the point and be clear and and, and have it, try to have a clear impact, you know. I, um, sometimes when I talk, you know, giving master classes or clinics or whatever, I sometimes use the analogy of how it's like a short story when you're improvising, where you kind of introduce this idea and then you just try to develop it right away. In this context, with this tune, wanting it to be short, I just felt like I needed to to get right to the point right away and have it feel good and to try to draw the listener into the story I was trying to tell. Guitarist Ben Monder really uh, adds a lot to this record too, and and one of the the places where I like him most is on the the closing track, which is Festival in three parts. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit, uh, first of all, about that tune, and then uh, maybe just a little bit about Ben and uh, what what sound it is of his that you find valuable in your ensemble? Yeah, well, um, Ben is just such a master musician. I've been so lucky to play with him and be an associate of his for years. You know, it's just been it's just been a great experience for me. That song in particular, the beginning is based on this Afro-Peruvian rhythm. I had the first section, I was just using that for a long time, as, and I was trying to write it. And eventually, you know, the, the B section kind of came uh, as I was working on the tune, and, and it goes to a different feel there. It goes to kind of a straight-eighth rock feel. And then the next section goes back to this kind of thing between the 12-8 rhythm and the... Um, uh, yeah, the, 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 there's the three, the three feel and the two feel happening at the same time. So that's why I called the tune Festival in three parts, because to me there's these three distinctive parts. So when we recorded it, you know, the idea would be that I would play over the first part, this Afro-Peruvian groove, and then Ben would play over the middle section, which is the rock groove. And, you know, he's just so great in so many different styles of music, and I feel like, you know, I was really hearing his solo voice in that section because it's... Um, this this very like singing you know sort of you know rocking thing and and he's so great at that so I thought he played a wonderful solo and then after his solo we kind of go out of time and and he he changes his guitar sound and he goes into this sort of atmospheric thing that he does it's like a wall of sound um, and it's really I find it to be really compelling and to me his guitar sound 
is such a big part of the tune and such a big part of that part of the tune. It's just so beautiful there. You know, Antonio Sanchez starts the solo. Initially, it's just kind of free, and we're playing, playing some sax backgrounds, and Scott's playing something, but it kind of eventually morphs into a drum solo. But I think what holds the interest in that section so so well is just the, the sonic landscape that Ben uh, puts out there. It's just so great. So his role to me in making that whole tune come, come across is, is just invaluable. And, and, and the thing is, the challenge with a song like that is to have it have a sense of fluidity through it. You know, there's these three different sections. There's, you know, however many solos on it. There's three or four different solos. But how can we make this thing sound like it's a story and not just, you know, four disparate, you know, things? And I, I felt like he really bridged that gap. He's just an incredible musician. has such a, an anthemic feel at the end of it as well that uh, it just when you hear things like that on a record you, you really you just can't help but smile I mean it's this is obviously not a hardball interview because I'm in love with this album I think the oh, album yeah, is fantastic you. so thank you. I don't have any curveballs to throw here anywhere it's just a great <laughs> a great great record and oh, uh, so I loved Soar as well and I, I really think uh, folks who like that are just going to be blown away by this I want to talk uh, more about the record, but I also want to talk about some of the other things that you're doing and uh, some of the places where folks may have been familiar with you in addition to your solo work. And I guess the two that are probably the highest profile are Maria Schneider's band and also uh, Dave Douglas's band. Yes. Can we start by talking about uh, Maria's group and what was your entree into that? 
band. Absolutely. Well, um, years ago, Maria had a weekly gig at Visiones, which is this club in the West Village, and she played there every Monday night. And her tenor players for the longest time were uh, Rich Perry and Rick Margitza. So eventually, um, I started subbing for, I think Rick Margitza called me initially, and um, I started subbing for him on a pretty regular basis, you know, and I got to know Rich, and so I started subbing for him. So for a long time there, I was essentially, I was there, you know, maybe every other week subbing for either Rich or Rick, and, uh, you know, really enjoyed it. Then that gig ended. I didn't do much with Maria for a while there, but then she approached me, I think this might have been in 2000, to maybe it was 2001, I can't remember. She had gotten this um, commission from Lincoln Center to write a new piece. It was the piece Bolerias, Soleas, and Rumbas, which was recorded on her um, her last record, Concert in the Garden. So she you know, basically hired me to do this concert and, and, and said she kind of had me in mind for this one uh, section, a solo section on the Bolerias tune. So um, it was around that time that I um, I joined the band. Rick Margitza had um, moved to Paris, and so um, I joined the band, and I've been doing it ever since, and uh, it's been a rewarding experience. You know, I, I get to hear a lot of great musicians and, and uh, learn a lot from playing her music. And apparently she had a pretty good idea for that particular solo section because you were nominated for a Grammy because of your solo, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It worked out pretty well, you know. It was, it was, it was really fun. So rounding out your, uh, your two highest profile gigs, how did you come to join the Dave Douglas Quintet? He called me to play a fundraiser for John Kerry. And this was, um, you know, in the last election. And uh, it was uh, a gig at Cornelia Street Cafe with Brad Jones and Jim Black. And there was no rehearsal. And we basically just, he just, you know, there was no lead sheets even. He just kind of said what he wanted to play. And we just went out there and, and played. And, and it went real well. And he called me maybe a couple, two, three weeks later and said he had a gig coming up with Quintet and asked me to do it. Um, and that was January of 2005, and it was um, it was a gig at uh, the Knitting Factory, which was part of a music festival there. And I had never played with a band, but I'd heard the band and loved the band. And so I basically, you know, he sent me the music, and I just worked on it. And then there was no rehearsal, no sound check. We just kind of went on stage and played, and and the gig went really well. And he basically, you know, uh, offered me a position in the band on the bandstand of that gig. So it was, it was, it was great. <laughs> I, that's uh, significantly better than being fired on the bandstand. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You mentioned your father, uh, who was also a musician. And yeah. I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about the impact he had on your early musical life. Yeah. Well, my father um, plays piano and vibraphone. And when I was younger, he also had a marimba. My parents were divorced. I lived with my mother. But on Sundays, my father would pick me up in the morning and drag me downtown to downtown Santa Cruz um, to the Pacific Garden Mall, which is like this main strip in downtown Santa Cruz. And he had a gig at this place called the Cooper House, which was a wonderful old building that had been a courthouse, and they had an outdoor patio with a, with a space for, uh, for a band. And my father's group played there um, for many years, and his, the, the name of the group was Warmth. And so when I was young, I would just go down there and help him to set up the marimba, the vibes, and uh, 
electric piano. And then I literally had, there was a chair that he set up for me on the bandstand, and I would just sit in the chair and listen to the band all day, because I was kind of too young to walk around the mall unsupervised, you know, <laughs> as this was the 70s and this was Santa Cruz, and, you know, all sorts of things were going on. So, you know, he just had me on the bandstand. And, and um, the band played a mixture of great American songbook tunes, Afro, Afro-Cuban jazz, or you know, Afro-Latin jazz. It was a lot of Cal Jader kind of stuff. And and I just sat there and listened for years and then finally um, started playing saxophone when I was 12. And my dad was really supportive, you know. He never pressured me into music. He would um, come over to my mother's house. Uh, we lived in a place called Happy Valley, which was outside of Santa Cruz. And my dad would drive over there from his house in Aptos, which is like a 20-minute drive. And He'd bring his electric piano, and he'd sort of schlep it up past the house, around this redwood grove, up into a barn, where um, there was a string of barns, and we had chickens and rabbits and pigeons, but there was one barn that wasn't being used, and that's where I would practice. And my dad would, you know, he'd set up his piano, and we'd start to play, and, you know, I was young and, like, you know, impatient, and we'd sometimes play for hours and other times we'd play for 10 minutes and I'd, you know, I'd throw a fit and we'd stop and he, and he was always cool with it. You know, he never gave me a hard time and very selfless, you know, in the way that he, he presented music to me and, and whatnot. So it was great. And, and, and then he, you know, he had me play with his band when I was really young and I was terrible. You know, I was playing out of tune, I was playing in the wrong key and, you know, but he was always steadfast in his support, you know, I'd be down and depressed and, you know, dad, I suck and I'm terrible. And, you know, I'd say, no, you know, you're my favorite saxophone player. And even though I knew he was just saying it, it still meant a lot, you know, just that sort of affirmation, regardless of where my performance level was. So, so it was really great. He had a really big impact on me. And I've, and I've, I've come to realize that I feel like I have a pretty wide eclectic taste in music. And I think that comes from being, in that situation where I was young, where we were playing standards and then we were playing Latin tunes and, you know, playing little kind of pop R&B tunes and all that stuff was part of what my dad was doing. And, and so I find that, you know, I'm, 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 you know, as I make these records that have a lot of Latin influence, I, I know that a lot of that is coming from those early experiences of playing my father with my father's group and, and loving the fact that there was one, two, three percussionists. You know, there was a horn section. There was all this, all these guys, and there was something about the. Um, it was just exciting to be a part of that as a child, and so I think that's impacted me a lot in terms of what I'm trying to do now. <laughs> Thank you. 
with that subject of influence and inspiration, you you write in the acknowledgments in the record, inspiration for my playing since my earliest days has come from and will continue to draw from the genius Michael Brecker to his memory. What is it about Michael Brecker's playing that inspired you? Well, I think um, when I was young, um, it it was partly his sound and partly just his, you know, facility on the instrument, you know, and also partly the passion in which he played. I think those things, those three things together really kind of inspired me when I was young. Just, I couldn't believe how he played with so much conviction. He had this beautiful sound and, you know, could play anything on the instrument. And those, those things really impressed me. I mean, I essentially stopped listening to him for a long time, maybe in my early 20s. Because I, I was so influenced by him at that time, and when I was at Berkeley and stuff, you know, I was just, I was so influenced by his his thing that I just needed to completely get away from it, you know. But um, when I look back on on um, you know on my life and, and and stuff, he was just such a key influence to me, you know. And and he still is. I mean, I'm just still so inspired by him. And since his passing, I've been listening to a lot of his old records, and I, you know, I got his new record, and it's just. You know, I'm still just so moved by uh, his playing. And also, you know, I I had the chance to meet him and hang with him a few times. He's such a beautiful person, you know, really selfless and really funny, really self-effacing and humble. And, like, you know, it was he was an amazing person and and an amazing musician. Donnie, what's coming up next for you? What things are uh, on the horizon now? Well, funny you should say. I was uh, today rehearsing some new music. I'm going to do a trio record. So I've pretty much got the music together for that, and I'm just, you know, working some things out with that. So that's the most pressing thing, you know, that's going to that's gonna happen sometime either in the fall or early next year. And then um, at the same time, I'm doing a CD release tour for In Pursuit uh, in Canada starting next week. I'm going to do uh, a, week in, a week in Canada, Toronto, Montreal, and Ottawa with uh, Ben and Antonio and Scott, which should be a lot of fun. I'm going to do a CD release gig in New York on the 18th of September at the Jazz Standard and then go to China on the 20th and do uh, the Beijing Jazz Festival and a a gig in Shanghai with my group. And then uh, at the end of the month, um, we go out with Dave's quintet, Dave Douglas. We're going to to do a few dates in the States and then do a South America tour for the first, first part of October. And then I'm going to go to Europe with George Grunts for about a week and a half in November, do a week with Maria at the Jazz Standard in November, um, and do a week at the Vanguard with Dave Douglas uh, in October, uh, December. So those are the major things I have, and then I have my own gigs in between that. And I'm you know, starting to think about writing music for... Um, Another trio, you know, I want to do have music for two trio records and then also do another record with the larger ensemble. I'm just, you know, thinking about what direction to go with that at this point, you know, musically. But I'm, but I'm starting to think about it and listen and starting to write a couple things down. So that's pretty much what's on tap for me. Man, you're kind of lazy, aren't you? 
know. <laughs> well, I feel like I'm lazy, and I feel like I should be doing more, but uh, yeah. But I'm trying. You yeah, know. definitely. That's a that's a light schedule. <laughs> Sitting around on the couch watching The Simpsons on DVD. That's that's the Donnie McCaslin story. Yeah. Well, listen, I want to close by uh, mentioning I, I read that the write up recently in the New York Times about the uh, the gig that you did, and the drummer in that gig was a friend of mine from Rochester, where I'm coming to you from now, Ted Poor. And uh, it seemed like the the meaning behind the gig was uh, was a pretty a pretty cool thing. I wonder if you talk a little bit about the the jazz for peace. Idea. Absolutely, yeah. Um, well, first of all, Ted Poor is an amazing drummer, as you know, and uh, he's going to go with me to China, and we're going to do some other gigs together. Oh, that's great! Fall, and he's so great, and so much fun to play with. So I love Ted, and and yeah, the jazz means peace was a series that um, a guitarist Russell Bronca. Put together, and uh, he lives in Brooklyn. It was basically, you know, all these different peace organizations were um, were able to benefit from the proceeds of the uh, of the event, and and each week um, a different a peace group would 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 benefit from the proceeds from the gig, and and so as um, you know, I feel pretty deeply that we could use more peace in the world. At this time, um, you know, I was I jumped at the chance to be a part of something like that. You know, it's um, it's you know I feel like the least I can do to try to uh, to try to promote that kind of idea and that kind of feeling in the world. You know, I was honored to be a part of it. The album is called In Pursuit. The composer and saxophonist is Donnie McCaslin. Donnie, this has been a, a real pleasure for me, and I hope that you'll uh, you'll come back again. Oh, Jason, my pleasure. Anytime, man. Anytime. That's Donnie McCaslin from his new recording, In Pursuit, on Sunnyside Records. You've been listening to The Jazz Session, the weekly jazz interview show. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is available for free in iTunes. Please take a second and subscribe so you're always up to date. You can also listen, again for free, at thejazzsession.com. 
The site features a link to the jazz session Cause of the Month. This month, it's Tipitina's Foundation. Please click the link and help get New Orleans back on its feet. Thanks. For more interviews and reviews, you can visit allaboutjazz.com, the world's largest jazz website. You'll find my writing there, beside that of many other jazz experts and fans. You can contact me via email at jason at thejazzsession.com or call the show at 585-473-5304. The Jazz Session's mailing list is available at thejazzsession.com. It'll give you periodic updates about the folks on the show, plus other news from my little world. The theme music for this show is by the Respect Sextet online at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Rabel, who designed the Jazz Sessions logo. Thanks so much for listening. Remember to support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Thank you for listening. Bye.